Welcome to our podcast, everyone. This is Remember the Aughts. It's a podcast where we talk about everything from the 2000s. My name is Courtney. And this is your boy, Tom. Tom here. And we talk about everything from the 2000s, from your very first wristband you bought at Hot Topic, to chunky highlights. To any one of the Fast and Furious sequels. There's a few. (laughs) Just a few. To uh, the first time I ever played GTA San Andreas, and for the first time heard the, aw shit, here we go again. So on today's episode, we're going to cover the iconic 2000s movie, a masterpiece of the 2000s, Snakes on a Plane. Snakes on a Plane, the B-movie cinema tour. <laughs> um, I feel like... There's no other B-movie that perfectly fits our generation as teenagers. Um, The day that we were recording the Shrek episode was the day that I watched Snakes on a Plane. So every time I kept picturing Shrek, I kept picturing it with the song Bring It by Cobra Starship. (laughs) Um, So I, I watched this movie closer to when it came out and... When I watched it again, I was very surprised by how much I couldn't handle the bloodiness. Yeah, oh, there's there's some interesting things about that, too, that I found out, like, looking it up. In contrast to you, which I think this will lead to a good conversation, I didn't watch this until, like, three nights ago. Really? (laughs) I've seen scenes, I know the memes, I was very aware of it when it came out, all of our friends Mm -hmm. loved it, all of, like, it was a very big talking point for our friends, Yeah, and, like, everyone had the DVD, I just never watched it, I think, I had, like, maybe because, like, there was so much, like, media and meme awareness of it at the time that I feel like I watched it, but then I- I was- yeah, go ahead. Sorry. But then I actually watched it, and I'm like, oh, I've never watched this. I don't know if you can hear Kiki meowing. She wants attention, oh, so um, I hear her. Yeah, maybe Kiki just wants to add some commentary to Snakes on the Plane. I don't know, but if if you hear Kiki meowing, that's just her wanting attention. Courtney, I think it's time. Time for what, Tom? I think it's time for our Zoomer correspondent segment. This is Kesey. He is my sister's uh, friend. Have you ever seen the movie Snakes on a Plane? No. Okay. Based on just the title alone, can you give me... I'll tell you, Samuel Jackson's in the movie. Yes. Can you give me what you think the plot of Snakes on a Plane would be? It's just Samuel Jackson on a plane with some snakes. It's just him and the snakes on a plane. Nobody else, not even a pilot. He's just hovering in the plane with some snakes and he's got to survive that's not that far off really yeah i mean there's the only difference is that there there are other people but they're all caricatures of people from 2004 okay you should watch it and if you want uh bonus points you can watch the music video by cobra starship called bring it which is a music video for the movie all right. Definitely two things that I'm adding to my list of things I need to view. I wanted to see this movie when it came out because I grew up loving giant carnivorous animal movies. That seemed to be the only blood level I could handle. You know, my mom raised me to watch Lake Placid and Jaws. So I thought that Snakes on a Plane was like the new carnivorous animal movie. And I really couldn't remember all of the things that I found actually viscerally upsetting until I watched it again at 28 instead of 18. There are some very graphic moments in this movie. Oh my god, like the snake coming at the tongue, snakes coming at eyes. Like, I I literally fast-forwarded through... Like, the first few bite scenes, because I just, I could not handle it. Um, I felt so nauseous afterwards. So, it, it's just funny how, like, when you're 18 or 16, when you're a teenager, you're so hyped up to see this ridiculous thing. And now, as a grown-up, I'm like, that is somebody's child? 
They uh, the snakes <laughs> go after balls. They bite boobs. There was a lot of weird yeah. moments that I think only could happen in two thousand and six. Hmm. Yeah, and you know Samuel L. Jackson. I mean, he was truly the driving force of this movie being made. So, Tom, I'm going to let you get into the plot of this movie and all of the things that you found out about it. Because I actually really struggled to, one, sit through this movie without vomiting. (laughs) And, uh, two, I really struggled to find a lot of information about the movie being made. So, why don't you get into what you found about the movie? Okay. Basic plot of this movie. Uh, California-based gang boss Eddie Kim... Oh, boy. ...assassinates prosecutor, but is witnessed by the prosecutor's son. Oh, it's his son? It's his son. What is his name? Sean Jones? It doesn't matter what his name is, really. Who's rescued by the great Samuel Jackson FBI agent uh, Neville Flynn. And then they decide to fly him back to L.A. to testify... And they set up a dummy plane that looks like a private plane for the FBI, but they're actually on a commercial flight, which is a plane I've never seen before. Yeah. Like, I know it's supposed to be, like, this first-class, luxurious plane. I've never seen a plane with, like, a spiral staircase separating first-class from, like, all the poor peasant people in coach. But, um, I think I've only seen that in other TV shows, so there's no way of me to know it's actually real or not. Yeah, but um, but chaos ensues because they have the the gang has a plan, and their plan is to hide a bunch of snakes on the plane, and they release pheromones to make the snakes go crazy, and eventually the snakes escape. Chaos ensues, and now Samuel Jackson and the remaining crew of the you know two thousands caricatures have to fight their way and survive the snakes on a plane scenario. Yeah, I forgot that um, there are so many parts in the movie that really only make sense in the 2000s, like Mercedes with the tiny dog. I mean... Oh my god, Mercedes with the tiny dog. That's very clearly meant to be a Paris Hilton type, a socialite that basically only existed in the 2000s. And then the rapper... Yeah, yeah. Who spent a lot of time using Purell. Yes, which is not <laughs> foreshadowing to 2020's pandemic that we cannot name. Yeah. <laughs> what was his name? Three G's? Three G's. Uh, Thor's wife was on the plane. Yes. Yeah. And then Kenan Thompson. Can I tell you something? Yes, I st- please. I think that Kenan Thompson is the best actor in that movie. I think he really works it. Yeah, he was pretty awesome. He honestly, like, I felt like he was believable. I feel like he actually worked really hard with what he had. Him and um, Bobby Cannavale as the agent from home base trying to help Samuel L. Jackson. And I was shocked to see uh, her in this movie, but Lynn Shay. She's that? uh she's like a she's like a famous horror actress like okay. not one of the bigger ones but she kind of gained a second wave of popularity due to uh 2010's Insidious movie. Oh, she's in that. Yeah, she's the um she's the psychic medium person. But oh, okay. She, like I remember her in like the first Nightmare on Elm Street as just like a teacher. Mm-hmm. But she's been in a number of things. She's been in um. She was she was also in Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Was she the older stewardess? Yes, one? she was the one that got bit and fucking yeah. that upset me. She's <laughs> great. She just has this charm and sincerity to her. Yeah. And like even if you watch she's in oh, she's also in Critters. Oh god. <laughs> Critters. The <laughs> Gremlins knockoff. Probably the most successful Gremlins knockoff. Mm-hmm. Critters. When you went to Austin, did you go to the Museum of Weird? Yes. Is that oh, the okay. one where the, the guy uses his hands to light up a light bulb? Um, I don't, I mean, Julia and I went to the Museum of Weird literally as the world was changing. So they didn't have a lot of the events that they normally would in the museum. Okay. Um, but they have like an animatronic 
gremlin there from the set, which I thought was really, really cool. That's right, yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I just, like, I always loved movies with, like, carnivorous and aggressive animals. I really thought that I was going to be excited to watch this again, and I'm already feeling nauseous just talking about it. I don't know why. No, it's okay. (laughs) I don't know what it is about this movie for some reason that, um, it didn't sit as well with me as, like, like, I'd rather, can we watch, like, Placid or Jaws? Sure. Yeah. (laughs) Just the season for Jaws, actually. I have it on Blu-ray. It is the season for Jaws. So what did you find out about this movie? So the story concept for this movie goes back to the early 90s. A guy named David D'Alessandro came up with the concept after he read a magazine about an Indonesian brown tree snake that got caught in a fighter plane, in a cargo plane in during World War II. Mm-hmm. So he wrote this screenplay for, and in like, he was not a Hollywood writer. He was just like a prof- like an administrator at a university, I think. Yeah, he was like a college administrator, never written anything before. Yeah, and he like brought it around to studios for years, <laughs> and like nobody wanted the script. And I think like, if you look at the '90s, that was definitely the era of or decade of more independent you know, criterion director sort of era of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't as much room for a B-movie snake monster movie. Mm-hmm. So it it didn't take off until 1999, I believe MTV and Paramount uh, purchased a script. Then New Line got their hands on the script. And, you know, after a few years of production and cha- changing of hands, we finally got to 2006 with the release of the version that we know of as Snakes on a Plane. Which apparently Samuel L. Jackson refused to let anybody change the title of. Oh, yeah, because originally the script that was written was called Venom. Right. Then then the working title was Snakes on a Plane. Right. And then they changed it to Flight Something Something. I can't even remember. The... I think it was the name of the airline that they fly on in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that Samuel Jackson, I from what I read, he was very passionate. He's like, this is a movie I would have wanted to see as a kid. For sure. That's the thing. I Maybe that's why I have such a problem with it now, is like, this movie is geared towards teenagers. Yes. 110%. It's unnecessarily bloody. It's got snakes. It's got Samuel L. Jackson kicking ass. There's a little bit of pyromania at one point. <laughs> Like, everything about this movie does scream teenagers. A snake eats a tit. That's right. Like, it's not a scene I'm proud of seeing. It's not a scene that I'm like, (laughs) whoa, this was a great... I remember watching this going, that was just unnecessary. Yeah, yeah. That's one of the scenes that I decided to, like, I'm, like, holding myself just imagining it. Because I couldn't watch it. I couldn't do it. I was just like, no, I'll feel it too much. I can't watch this. I am very sorry. <laughs> um, fun fact, yeah. Blade. Um, at one point in production, this film was when it when the working title was "Snakes on a Plane." One of the original directors, New Line, had approached and was actually attached to the project for quite some time. Was Ronnie New? Mm-hmm. Got his fame from making some some of New Line's other horror films, including Freddy vs. Jason. Oh boy. Yeah, which is a movie where you watch. It is not a good movie. And I would say even for a slasher movie, it's not a good movie. Mm -hmm. But it does have some really awesome fight scenes. Well choreographed fight scenes. Way too good for a movie of its par. And it's definitely that like Hong Hong cinema influence that's in that movie, weirdly enough. Mm -hmm. So originally he was going to do Snakes on a Plane. And to some dispute or some argument, he left. And even this, I found this out, because the movie's rated R. Right. It was originally supposed to be PG-13. Right. I was going to say, that's when the online fandom kicks in and has a huge influence on the movie. Right. And that's when um, the boob scene comes into play. A lot of the gorier scenes 
that they had to reshoot for the R rating, you can kind of tell in the movie immediately as they happen because they're so separated from the rest of the movie. Like, um, a guy falls down when they're first running out of coach and um, somebody's heel steps into his head. Or when they fall off the staircase and some guy punctures his neck on something sharp. Like, you can tell that it's added in afterwards and... Honestly, I could have done just fine with the PG-13 version. You know, I will say that that is fair. Yeah. Um, because it does feel janky at times. There's definitely You definitely notice the scenes that are meant to just be slapped on to add the additional rating. Mm-hmm. Like, you could tell that the main cast prepared for this to be a PG-13 movie. Mm-hmm. But then you jump to these scenes that are... Like, there were so many people on the plane... That I just think they made up characters at some point, and I'm like, I don't remember seeing this guy board the plane. Right, right. And then he has his penis bitten off in the bathroom. Right. And I'm like, whoa, who is this guy? And why is his penis getting bitten off? I know, and then I felt bad because with the trope of like the newlywed couple, I was like, well, obviously they're going to make it to the end. And then I was so disappointed to remember, oh yeah, they die horribly. But they died together. I yeah, I guess that's fine. <laughs> yeah, but you're right. Like that, that was one of the. I will say that it is a sad moment, mm-hmm. but it is a subversion of that expectation. Right, right. Like I guess it's fine that they died because I was expecting them to live. Um, I guess we can get it. I, I'm gonna mention that I didn't like the. Uh, how do I explain this? I didn't like the one character who was, like, the kickboxing Asian dude who was intentionally meant to look like a bad guy. And, you know, I'm sure we'll have more time to talk about Eddie Kim in general. But, uh, I felt like the intentional, like, oh, he's also an Asian guy who is, like, he looks like he could be a bad guy, so he must be in with Eddie Kim and then he ends up just being a good guy. Like, it was an unnecessary moment. Oh, yeah. So this yeah. movie is full of caricatures. Yeah, for caricatures sure. Caricatures that would not... that Like, unless you had some really clever satirical commentary on it, you could not do this in 2020. Yeah. I mean, even just, like, Eddie Kim himself. Like, the guy's name in real life is Brian Lawson. Are you serious? Yeah. And, oh my god. You know, that also perpetuated a lot of stereotypes of like yellow peril and all Asian characters must know martial arts. Um also he's just not a good villain, like the guy no. who played him. I've never seen him in anything else, so I can't speak to his acting talents, but in this movie, I'm just like this guy does not seem like a a maniac mafioso. Not at all. Yeah. And I think that has to do with everything. I think that has everything to do with the script and that has nothing to do with his potential acting abilities. But the scene where he's like literally beating the guy to death in the beginning, I'm just like, I'm not afraid of this person. I don't believe it. He's just shouting to be loud. He also doesn't have a, like his plot line doesn't really get closed. No. Like, we assume that by the end of the movie, okay, he's, you know, the main kid's going to testify, he'll get locked. But there is no scene that kind of delivers that. It just kind of, the movie ends as it starts with a very scenic, beautiful shot on the beach with music playing that does not match the rest of the film whatsoever. Yeah, I forget about the ending every time. The opening credits, mm-hmm. I was watching, and I'm like, did I pick the right movie? <laughs> right. Because the first five minutes is just scenic beach shots, people at the beach, this nice song playing. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, wait, what is... This is a movie about snakes on a plane. <laughs> Not, I paid for a vacation. Like, yeah. And at the beginning of the movie, after Sean sees the murder, he's stuck in his room he's terrified he doesn't know what to do and samuel l jackson just appears 
And he's like, why didn't you call the cops? And he says, because the news said that they're corrupt and they're working with him. So he's like, ah, good point. <laughs> Smart. Smart. So then how did Samuel L. Jackson find him? That's a good point. I, I, have, that. I have a theory that perhaps Samuel L. Jackson was just knocking on other people's doors and entering their apartments thinking that he found the guy who witnessed this murder and then had to keep leaving other people's apartments because it wasn't the right guy. Yeah, you know what? Thinking about it now, because I kind of just turned my brain off and watched the movie. Yeah. But thinking about it now, the time gap between his father getting murdered and Samuel Jackson finding him is so small. Yeah. Like, one, that means that Samuel Jackson had to assume that his dad was going to get murdered and that he needs to find the son in a reasonable amount of time. Yeah. Which I, none of this makes sense. He's just, like, nothing said. He didn't tell the cop. So how would he have known that he witnessed a murder? It it makes no sense how Samuel L. Jackson found him. Also, this movie has some very old, outdated technology with the Blackberries, the PSP, which was also really delightful. It was yeah. just a big deal that somebody on the plane had a phone with a camera. Oh, yeah, and they could email it. Yeah, they could email from all the way up high on an airplane when Wi-Fi wasn't a thing. Yeah, I was going to say, I even with even if you had a phone that could do that, I don't think you could do it on a plane. No, I still have trouble getting Wi-Fi on a plane. It's And they charge you up the ass for it. Yeah. <laughs> it's very expensive. And so, Tom, you were saying that, like, the fan base leading up to this movie had a lot to do with the movie. Oh, yeah. Would you like to talk about what specifically was put in the movie because of a fan? I'm not sure we're alluding to the same thing. Oh, okay. You go ahead. I was going to say, what's interesting about this movie is you could look at it through the guise of this unique phenomenon of early internet excitement and early internet culture. Mm -hmm. Because when this film got like announced, the internet fan base was like clamoring. There was such excitement for it. A lot of what the fans had called for got included in the movie, including the very famous line. Is that what we were alluding yep, to? Yep, that's exactly what I was talking about. Yep, yep. I have had it with these motherfucking snakes on this motherfucking plane. Describes an entire generation. Yes, it does. Now, do you remember the television version, which is debatably even funnier? Oh, I was going to say it for my introduction, and then I thought, I don't want to give any of this away. It's uh, monkey fighting snakes on this Monday to Friday plane. I have had it with these monkey fighting snakes on this Monday to Friday play. The ADR for that's incredible too. Yeah. Oh my, there's actually a lot of ADR in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Like the whole, when Samuel Jackson first rescues the kid, everything he says is ADR. I thought some of it was weird because it doesn't fit right. And a lot of the lines that Juliana Margulis says is also oddly placed. Elsa Pataki, when she's helping the kid with the venom, I also thought was, like, it, it didn't fit the the surroundings of the, of the situation. Like, you could just tell it was off. But, I mean, you bring up a good point because this came at a time in the internet where I think movie producers and movie executives were thinking, what do we do? There's this new point in this new generation where they're voicing their opinions so loudly on the internet. Do we give them power over this thing or do we not? Do we yield to what they want or do we just go ahead and do things the way that we want to do things? That's a good point. And it's, it's, what's interesting about this one, I will say, is that at least for this movie, the internet fan base, the demands were more of a positive like, people were excited about this movie. Yeah. And I think that the odd thing is despite how much praise and, like, excitement there was for this movie on the internet, it did not do well in the box office. No, it didn't. It did really bad. So bad. Um, I think that the point of the movie kind of led to that, though. Because you don't need to see the movie to know what's going to happen. There's snakes on a plane. That is true. I don't 
think that they should have changed the title. I agree with Samuel L. Jackson that it needed to stay Snakes on a Plane. But then there's no reason to see the movie. You know what's going to happen. You know that they're going to survive in the end. You know everything's going to be okay. So you kind of don't need to see it and basically know what happens. Like you were saying. Yeah, yeah. I think that kind of led to the reason I didn't watch the movie. Right. I feel like I had gotten it. Yeah. But I will say, having watched it for the first time ever, um, I did enjoy it. Like, I had a genuinely fun time. It is an effective B-movie thriller, mm-hmm. but that does not negate the fact that a lot of the caricatures and characters in this movie are not appropriate at no. all. No, definitely Like, especially, not. especially the, the objectification of women through the lens oh, of what we've been through post-Me Too. Yeah. <laughs> It is not appropriate at all. I think that's why it's hard to tell how these kinds of B-movies will shift with everything that's going on and people wanting change. And, like, of course, we absolutely support those changes and everything that's going on. But B-movies have not exactly been an establishment of highbrow thought no so it's like i don't really see them changing either i will i can make the argument only because i do love b-movies yeah i watch horror movies and b-movies all the time yeah and they often do because they're cheap they're made on a budget they're made fairly quickly they rely a lot more on simple tropes and social norms of the time Mm -hmm. so they sometimes do make for more interesting and reflective pieces understandings of a time in which the film came out okay but but um i would say you could still make i think it just it you have to become more clever you have to be more socially aware you have to be conscious but you have to then make a point like okay this is my b movie but am I going to go for... Because here's the thing. People make B-movies all the time. Right. Especially nowadays with how cheap it is to make like an effectively decent movie. Mm-hmm. But how many of them get remembered? We don't remember the ones that rely on the schlock. We remember the ones that are clever to a degree or are so bad that it's fun to watch them. Right. Which at that point, you're not rewarding it for its good behavior. Yeah, then you're not um, looking for highbrow content and is it yeah. being careful of stereotypes and objectifying women. Just, it's going to be a little trashy. It's going to be yeah. lowbrow. Um, so I don't even know if like if those movies are going to change at all. They will. Well, 20, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> um, I would make the point, if we go back in history... Like in 19, I would say 1968's Night of Living Dead is potentially the best example mm-hmm. of a B-movie that could stand the test of time mm-hmm. because it, despite it being a B-horror film, it is to a degree a lot more socially conscious and aware mm-hmm. following, you know, the civil rights movement of the 60s. And sometimes B-movies, the ones that are made by people who care, mm-hmm tend to reflect the cultural movies of the time. Because you get to, you know, Night of the Living Dead, it's a horror movie about the zombies. Right. Well, even back then, the term zombie didn't exist. They were ghouls. Right. But then you have the lead actor is an African-American man Mm -hmm. who's taking charge and leading a group of survivors in a house. And that is... That wasn't even intentional. Like, George Romero was not thinking, I'm going to make a movie with the black protagonist. He made a movie being a hippie himself... And following the, you know, civil rights movement of the 60s and just casting the best person who you can get to be a lead. And it's this, you know, prominent black male actor. Mm -hmm. And it's, I think that those are the types of B-movies that will stand the test of time. Yeah, you're right. There are some horror movies and B-movies where they do decide to go against the norm. And I feel like that's what a lot of horror movies are, is they're going against what people want to see or you know it's not comforting it's supposed to be shocking and sometimes that gives them the space to not stick to conventional hollywood norms that other movies try to stick to 
So you will find ones that go against the grain, like with um, Sigourney Weaver in Alien. That's still okay. one of like the greatest roles ever. Just period. I do love Alien. Yeah, and um, so there are some that are going to solely do whatever they want because they have the capacity to. And then you've got the other ones that are just going to drive it home. Can we can we talk about Mercedes? Yeah, let's talk about Mercedes. So Mercedes is one of the many caricatures on this plane. Um, how would you describe Mercedes? Um, a lot of bedazzling. Yes. Cell phone, noisy dog... And that's about it. Does she have a character? Does she have story? Not really. No. I, you know what's funny is I forgot the trope of the tiny dog in the bag. Yeah. That was such a 2000s thing. I'm like, oh yeah, that was a thing. Like people used to, like Hollywood celebrities of this type used to have tiny dogs and put them in their tiny bags. Yeah. Like I don't think that that is something that would register with a teenager who's watching it today. I think that they would watch it and be like, that woman's got a dog, and that would be it. I don't think yeah. that they would realize that it has anything to do with a type of person, like a socialite um, from that period of time. Like, this was actually a type of person that we saw all the time in the media. It was a joke at that point, too. Right, exactly. And it's not that we wanted her dog to die. We wanted Paris Hilton's dog to die. Yeah, no, that's a fair way to put it. Yeah, um, my sister actually saw this movie in theaters when Richie. it came out. Yeah, and she did tell me that when the British businessman throws the dog to the anaconda, everyone in the audience started cheering and clapping. They were so happy. Are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Because like, I maybe maybe I I watched this you know a few days ago. I'm so far away from that joke of the you know the celebrity with the little dog. I felt for the little dog. No, me too. When I watched it again, I was like, "That's a fucked up thing to do to a dog," and I'd be so upset if somebody did that to my cats. I think I was very glad when the very snobby British man got eaten by the snake. Oh boy, my favorite continuity is that when they shoot the windows and things start coming out you still see the anaconda like still working on the guy's body yes <laughs> like, and it's just there it goes out the window <laughs> but um yeah so i think at the time when you know we were all like loving to hate paris hilton and that sort of person we weren't cheering because we wanted a dog to die. We were cheering because we wanted to cause the socialites a little bit of pain. That is true. I will say there's definitely a bit of catharsis where... Because, like, first of all, they all get kicked off. Because according to the plot, the FBI has to occupy first class. Right. So all these... And I think this is where a little bit of... For a B-movie, the humor kind of bounces. It's more of a jokes on the like it doesn't hit now in 2020 like we definitely look on it and go okay i get what you're doing but there's absolutely no need for the, the mercedes character to wear this outfit and the camera to focus on her butt for so long yeah yeah but there is that bit of like catharsis and joke all these elites and these spoiled people you know having to take a back seat and coach like what was the joke one of i think mercedes says she goes is coach safe? Yeah, and I love <laughs> the uh, stewardess who is like, it is very safe. Like, instead of trying to reason with her, she just agrees to go along with it because it would just make their jobs that much easier. Or even when the British guy is like, I can't be late. It's like, it's the same plane. Yeah. Like, you are physically, you are supposed, like, he's playing, like, this snobby British character, but it's like, yeah, but you can't be that right or maybe he is i know well that's why it kind of reminds me of like how parks and rec talks about the people of the of pawnee that they'll say these yes. dumb stupid things and it's more of a joke on them rather than the situation itself and i feel like that is what happens like you're bringing up that exact same thing with that scene in snakes on the plane 
when they're like, what do you mean we can't be in first class? Are we going to be late? <laughs> oh my god, that was... There were so many things. Um, then we get to 3G. You want to talk about 3G? Oh boy. 3G. The, uh, the rapper on the plane. It's not his fault that he's stuck representing a caricature. No. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but this was like, what was it, 2006? So like, at that time, hip-hop was a pop culture like me. It was mainstream at this point. So like, right. you had this image of... You know, because I even remember what what is it when he's in the airport and he's he literally he's signing autographs. He literally grabs a woman's boob and writes his name on it. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, oh no. Yeah. Like, even as a joke, you can't do that. <laughs> right, and like he's flirting with a woman. He's very handsy, obviously, because he can do that. And then it gets to the point where he shoves a stewardess and pulls a gun on the remaining members of the flight like as i'm saying it i'm cringing yes oh we are forgetting the moment in the airport where the white kid with the spiky hair yeah. and the gangster outfit comes up to him right. and the, he, he fist bumps him and he goes stay black <laughs> yeah. which i feel like white kids loving uh music predominantly made by black musicians and black rappers is always a thing but yes. during this time, it was so prevalent, and so prevalent on Long Island where we grew up. Yes, I remember my outfits back then. Yeah. <laughs> I distinctly remember the one day you had, like, one sweatpant leg up to your knee. It was a different time. It was. Although, <laughs> this was this came out, what, 2006? Yeah. This was my, like, very... This was my angsty metalhead phase who didn't want to admit that he definitely liked the song for the movie. Yes. It's a great song. So we should get into that then, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Let's talk about the song now. Okay. So at the end of the movie, the credits roll, and then they start a music video, which is probably the only place where you will see the music video in good quality. Oh, yeah, because on YouTube, the official YouTube page for this video, it's still, like, I think at best 480i. Yeah. <laughs> it's so bad. So, um, with this movie came a soundtrack that was just perfectly filled with pop-punk bands from the 2000s, um, including a new band that was sort of announcing itself with the release of the movie, uh, cleverly named Cobra Starship. Uh, this band was started by Gabe Saporta, who was also the bassist and lead singer of Midtown before this, which was a band that I listened to and bought that CD. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, and the first time I went to go see Cobra Starship in concert, they actually played a few of the songs from Midtown. And apparently, uh, Gabe Saporta was... <laughs> doing peyote in the Arizona desert and was inspired to come up with Cobra Starship. That's interesting. So, um, this song, Snake, uh, Bring It, no, it's, sorry. No, it's okay. So this song, Snakes on a Plane, Bring It by Cobra Starship, also features three other musicians from that time period, who one of them, I think, actually carried on the most successful career which is travis mccoy from gym class heroes another thing i didn't know who was very much in love with if not engaged to already Katy perry another thing i didn't know yeah so travis mccoy was with Katy perry uh long before she actually got her solo career up and running and if you go back and watch the gym class heroes video for Cupid, I think it's called. I gotta look at it again, but it samples that song that goes like, take a look at my girlfriend. She's the only yes. one I got. Um, Katy Perry is the girl in the music video. Okay, that's... You know what's funny <laughs> is I will say this. I I looked up the song after the movie. Mm -hmm. I listened to it, and I watched the video in its true uh, quality of 480i. <laughs> um and I just kind of was like, damn, this is a banger. I oh, can man. dig this song. It's such a smash. And it's definitely a song that me in high school would have 
would have not wanted to admit liking, depending on whoever I had a crush on it that day. <laughs> I wasn't gonna. I wasn't supposed to like the song, but it's awesome. Like I genuinely, it is very two thousands. Like it is very. Matter of fact, when I looked it up on YouTube, the like uh, the suggested other music videos to watch were was 303 yeah and i was like oh my god that was a thing and the one with katy perry because they did a song with katy perry they did yeah what song uh, is it let me see because they did one with kesha yes starstruck featuring katy perry oh gosh but yeah um so travis mccoy was in it maya iverson from the sounds whom i love and think She's just such a knockout. She's the kind of person, like, growing up, I was never a big fan of female musicians who showed a lot of their body because when we grew up into the 2000s, there were so many people who were showing their bodies. Paris Hilton, Britney Spears, Jessica Simpson. It was a part of what was attracting people at the time. It was part of the trends with the low-rise jeans. Um, but there was something about Maya Iverson, and you can see it in the Snakes on a Plane Bring It music video. It's not that she wants to show you her body. It's just that she needs to rock out so hard. She doesn't care if she rips her clothes off. Like, it's in the way yeah. of her rocking out. She's going to kick That's that awesome. camera. Um, I always think she's so great. The Sounds, uh, her band, recently brought out a new single, and it's so good. I'm so glad that they're making music again. Um, and then there is William Beckett from the Academy Is, who is completely forgettable and <laughs> completely replaceable. You know, he's so forgettable, I don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah, he, he's just there. Um, I think that Maya and Travis definitely get like a bigger spotlight um, in the music video than he does. I thought he was the lead singer of Cute Is What We Aim For, which was another band in that like subgenre of pop punk pop punk where they were just sort of forgettable and it just kind of fit in there but i mean i i really liked cobra starship i saw them three times that's as awesome as a teenager and uh, i thought that they were so much fun they were so danceable the song i listened to it on repeat while i was cleaning out uh the kitchen last week Hey man, I vibe with that. Yeah, it's just a really good song to get moving to. It's upbeat, and I think honestly, really fits the whole vibe of the movie. It fits how ridiculous the movie is. Uh, even the concept of the music video is that they're the bad guys who bring the snakes onto the plane, which is sort of the missing plot point that we need in the movie. Yeah, they kind of erased the whole gangster thing. Because, like, right. the movie, it, it, it ends once, it literally ends when they're off the plane. And then the last shot of the movie is them on surfboards surfing. Right. And that's it. Yeah. See? And I'm like, there's an entire plot thread that you just forgot. Right. Like, does Eddie Kim get arrested? Does he go to jail? Is he still a threat to, you know, the main kid's life? Right. We don't know. Are they in Bali because he is still a threat and it's the safest place for him to be right now? I don't, yeah. There's, there's no, yeah. Like, we just, I do like the background detective work. I mean, it's very small. Mm -hmm. But then we have other FBI agent, um, Hank Harris, played by Bobby Cannavale. Yeah. Who kind of like, he gets a snake expert. And he's like, all right, how are we going to figure out? Cause, and this is true. You cannot mix up um, anti-venoms mm. if, depending on what snake you get bitten by. Mm. And it does kind of cleverly tie into catching, you know, the guy. Mm -hmm. Because the snakes were purchased from, like, an illegal snake, you know, animal dealer. Right. So they have to go out and get to him to get the anti-venom to, to cure for the patients. But that also kind of... And that's why I felt, like, unsatisfying that there is no end sequence where we see the gangsters get arrested. Right. Because it's like, they actually did do the work to establish this plot line where, you know, they're they're doing FBI work right. to track down the snake dealer who sold the snakes to the gangsters to get the anti-venom. And it's like, that's all really clever. I also felt like the guy who played 
the snake expert was pretty good. Yeah. Like, he seemed like a knowledgeable, a knowledgeable snake expert. A knowledgeable. He seems knowledgeable. <laughs> He's very knowledgeable. <laughs> He's very knowledgeable. Um, but, yeah, I thought that was good. Um, and they had so many snakes on set. Yes, I actually have some of the species here. Please, please share. I so, love snakes. <laughs> One thing I was shocked about, like, yes, most of the movie snakes are CGI, and I was expecting them all to be CGI, Mm -hmm. but it turns out there was actually some real snakes, and I think what I like about that is that when you see a real snake, it, like, you're like, oh, it's a snake. Yeah. (laughs) Like, um, the most notable snake is the 19-foot-long Biamese python, Mm -hmm. whose set name was Kitty. It's very cute. Uh, they had a few, they actually had quite a bit. Uh, the one, one of the more notable ones is um, in the movie, they portray them as coral snakes, mm-hmm. which are the, it's the, it's the red, black, and yellow snakes. Right. But in the actual film, they use scarlet king snakes, which are the non-venomous double. Like, they, that's where that riddle comes from. Um, oh, yeah. Red on black. And you're safe, Jack. Red on yellow, and you're something. You're a dead, dead. fellow. <laughs> yes, that's what it is. Yeah, I always forget that until somebody starts it. Yeah, because um, and then they also had milk snakes, corn snakes, rattlesnakes, and mangrove snakes, just to name a few of the notable snakes seen on camera. Uh, the corn snakes were the green ones with the vipey vipey faces. Oh, yeah. Um. A lot of it was CG, but it was, I mean, especially like with the python, because the python sure. is not venomous. Sure. So it would be, like, you definitely see it crawl, and that was effective when you see the big-ass snake crawling through the light fixture, and you see the light crack. Mm-hmm. It's like, damn, that's, because that, that leads to a lot more impact. Um, unfortunately, when the British man gets eaten, it's not a real snake, it is CG. I think that's the thing, is that... The image of the snake crawling through the lights and breaking through is so effective, and then it's followed by this very cartoony, teeth-bearing, generated, almost animated snake that's practically growling at the camera. Yes. Yes, there were growlings. (laughs) Yeah. But, um, the graphics in this do not stand up, I'll say No. Uh, they look very PlayStation 2, which I will use that as a crossover to the point where my man, and maybe, you know, we talk about maybe my favorite character in the movie, Troy, played by Keenan Thompson, who's, yes. he's like one of three G's entourage, yeah. and he ends up saving the day by landing the plane. He's such a knockout. I love Keenan Thompson. I will compliment him until the cows come home. Yes. <laughs> And he lands the plane based on the skills he learned from a flight simulator on a PlayStation 2. I thought it was the PSP. Doesn't he have the PSP? It's the P- You know what it is? It's the PSP, but he just says PlayStation. Yeah. Which this is a very... Like, that is honestly so of the 2000s to name drop video games with no context. I was going to say, do you think PlayStation sponsored Snakes on a Plane? Because they say PlayStation a lot. Maybe honestly, Sony might have had a hand in some regard. Like it's not a Sony movie, right? But they they because you see him playing the PSP, and then there's a deliberate moment where Samuel Jackson because he's freaking out. He goes, "The mean," he's like, "You mean your entire knowledge of flying planes is based on a video game?" And then he he even says Xbox or PlayStation. Yeah, and then at some point he like hails for PlayStation once they've landed. All praises to the PlayStation. Yeah. Yeah. All praises to the mighty PlayStation. All praises to the mighty PlayStation. I also want to mention that <laughs> it's funny how they had so many snakes on set and Samuel L. Jackson was ride or die for this movie. He said it had to be done. We have to call it snakes on a plane. But it said in his contract that he had to be eight meters away from all of the snakes at all times. Really? Yeah. And it's not like he didn't want to be around the snakes. It was just 
up to his manager, I think, who thought, I'm not letting my client anywhere near these snakes just on the off chance that something bad does happen. I was going to say, I watched a video about what snake venom does. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, boy. It's it's terrifying. No, it is so scary. Like, it does, like, you know, normally with, like, a poison or a toxin, you you just have this imaginary vision that it, like, it does something to your body and you're sick and you get some anti-venom and you're fine. Right. But when you actually see what this shit does to your blood, it is uncomfortable and stomach turning. Right. And then there's also the recovery period is brutal. And even if you're lucky enough to get the anti-venom within the very short period of time that you need to get it, your recovery time is probably six months out at least. For a lot of those bites. Oh yeah. yeah, absolutely. Ugh, maybe I don't like. Maybe. Oh, sorry. I I'm just like <laughs> picturing myself on a plane with snakes, and maybe that's why I get nauseous when I think about this movie because I was on a plane from China to New York, where we flew instead of over Russia and Europe, we flew through Japan and the Pacific Ocean, and it was a really bad experience. The flight crew themselves, the flight itself was amazing and beautiful, and they handled it so wonderfully, but it was just a rough flight, and maybe there's some sensory memory that just kicks in when I watch this movie, and I think of being on a flight for that long, being in a dangerous situation, that it just kicks the nausea back in. Oh, shit. I didn't even know that. When was this? Yeah, it was when Joe's sister and I went to Thailand. And, I mean, the pilots were amazing. Pilots are amazing. I just want to say anybody who can do this is fantastic. But uh, when we were flying back, we were flying through Japan and the Pacific Ocean. And it wasn't just like a little turbulence where it's a little shaky. It would be shaky, shaky, shaky drop shaky 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 drop for about 10 hours of a 16 hour flight and we were both crying we just didn't acknowledge that the other person was crying and we just watched a lot of movies until it was over it was so scary and i thought i can only imagine this is how i die (laughs) and I'm I'm glad we were okay. Like I said, the pilots were absolutely amazing. And the thing that was the most telling that we would be okay is we sat next to, it was Heather on one side, me in the middle, and then there was this old man next to me who I think was flying to China for family. And every time we dropped and it was very scary, he just laughed. The whole time she's like, oh, ha, 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 ha. And I was like, Jesus Christ, I can't handle this. And the next guy, like, on my right is taking this like a fucking champ. So I was like, if this guy can handle it, then I need to get my shit together. So I think we actually talked quite a bit about this during our discussion. Yeah. Um, but the ultimate question has to be asked. Does this movie work today or can it be made today? I think at the very core of it, yes. I think just snakes on a plane, hell yeah. I think that the idea that they're incited by the pheromones is actually scientifically pretty smart. Um, I think that as far as everything else going in the movie, the trope of Mercedes, the trope of Eddie Kim played by a man named Brian Lawson, three G's. I think that all of the stereotypes and tropes just don't fit in what society is looking for in today's culture. I'm very likely to agree. I think this movie would do very well, like if this were released today. Right. um, One, the tropes would be different and the caricatures would be very different. But I think a movie like this would honestly do very well on like a streaming platform. That's a good idea. This is one of those movies that would just explode on a streaming platform and everyone would talk about it and be like, you see that ridiculous movie, Snakes on a Plane? And the thing is, I think Samuel L. Jackson, one, has not aged a day in his life. No. Two, 
I think he could still do it again. He could still do it now. He'd be like, fuck it, let's do it again. Yeah. He's probably more ready for it than I am. I am not fit. And he would probably be like, all right, let's do it. Let's do it, snakes on a snakes plane. Snakes on a plane. Yeah, this would probably do very well on like a Shutter or even like a Netflix. Yeah. Either Shutter or Netflix. I don't see this on like Hulu. I don't see this on a Hulu. But I do kind of see some interesting horror things on Hulu. No, there are. Yeah. I just think that like this is definitely more, I don't know, maybe I just I've maybe because Netflix is a little older too. That's true. Cuz I think this would I for some reason I see this on like a Shutter or Netflix and it getting like a lot of word of mouth and it might do better. Honestly, it might like if adjusted for the time just some of the character tropes, but the script is the same. The characters are changed up a bit. This might have done better today. Like, who knows? Like, yeah. dominating dominating the block, the, you know, movie theaters is pretty much superhero movies. Right. But I think there is a case that this might have done well for, you know, whether merchandise or just just general viewership on a streaming platform. I think you're right. Because, yeah. like, we talked about it briefly beforehand, but that... That early age of, like, internet fandom and excitement Mm -hmm. didn't really lead to success until recently. Right. Because even, like, 2010, we saw Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, which had a tremendous amount of excitement from fans and the internet community, Mm -hmm. but it did horrible in the box office. Right. So maybe a streaming platform is a better place for a movie like that, where there's a lot of internet hype and not a lot of people actually going to the theaters to see it. Yeah, and just internet and the internet culture in general has become more pop culture than it was back right. then. So it, I think now it reflects mainstream culture more than it did back and then. And I do think Netflix is always trying to tap into that campy culture. I mean, look at the yes. success of Tiger King. Can you imagine what Snakes on a Plane would be like if it came out during quarantine? Oh, yeah. Or even, like, think about, what was it, five years ago, 2015, that 30-minute short, um, Kung Fury? Oh, yeah, exactly. That did really well for itself, and it's like, maybe that, you know, the aughts were not the time to cater a movie to an internet fan base. Yeah, or even something that at the time was such a big deal, like Dr. Horrible's sing-along, was an internet sensation when it came out and as far as technology and streaming goes that seems like a lifetime ago yeah Yeah. so do we want to put the song on the emerging trends i think we should i think we should read some of the lyrics to help us figure out where it fits into those categories or if we need to completely build a new one for it. If you can see in the chart, I actually changed it a little bit so we don't have to move it around as much. Okay. Right. Let me get into my best Gabe Supporta drama. Times are strange. We've got a free upgrade for snakes on the plane. Fuck them. I don't care. Pop the cheap champagne. We're going down in flames, hey. Oh, I'm ready for it. Come on, bring it. Oh, I'm ready for it. Come on, bring it. Oh, I'm ready for it. Come on, bring it. So kiss me goodbye. Honey, I'm gonna make it out alive. So kiss me goodbye. I can see the venom in their eyes. Goodbye. (laughs) The, The second verse gets even stranger and makes even less sense with lizard serpentine lounging in their suits and ties watch the horse parade who's the whore who are we talking about here i don't know i'm gonna go on a limb and say denounce denouncement of society see that's i think you're right i was originally gonna put it in i'll take whatever you throw at me because it says hey come on bring it but I think you're right with, like, the actual continuity of the lyrics. I think it might fit better in Denouncement of Society. True. And that's kind of the vibe of the music video, is that very villainous, 
focus on anarchy, that kind of punk, like, we don't care if this whole thing goes down in flames. Why would we care? So I think you're right. I think it fits in denouncement of society. I agree. Okay, so I'm going to put that for Snakes on a Plane, Bring It by Cobra Starship. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening to us of Remember the Odds. You can listen to us on Spotify, where we will be posting weekly. And you can also check out our interactive content on our Instagram, Remember the Ots Podcast, and that's with zero zeros. So it's Remember the Zero Zeros Podcast. Be sure to like, give us all the likes, follow and like, <laughs> and share. I want to know, we want to know your stories too. I can't wait to hear about what other people have to say. So thank you for joining it's a us. Thing. Yes, yeah, stay tuned, guys.